not only are we headed north to Sudbury for this episode of the <laughs> OHL podcast, but we're also getting a recommendation from a former guest on the podcast. I don't know yeah. if that reflects well on me. Does it make me an easy touch? Or is uh-huh. this guy just that much worth a recommendation? Adam Bennett, former Sudbury Wolf, joins hey. us on the podcast. Hey, it's great to have you. Thanks for making the time. Thank you, Mike. It's uh, my pleasure to be here with you. And who gave the recommendation? Is that a Paquette thing? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Packer <laughs> himself, Andy Paquette. So Andy yeah. and his brother Daryl were on uh-huh. together. And if I'm honest with you, it might have been one of the funniest podcasts we've ever had. Okay. They they got they got going pretty good. And the funny thing about that, so you and Andy would have played together, mm-hmm. and then he became yep. he he was your assistant coach in your final year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, like a Reggie Dunlop kind of thing. Kind of like a Reggie Dunlop. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps. I mean, you know, I don't think it helped our team. How about that? (laughs) We didn't get past many rounds, but no, I don't know. I I remember uh, Sudbury fondly, all the great times that we had. It's such a great place to play and, you know, just lucky to have had the opportunity to do it. Okay, I like to I want to dive into that a little bit further because I'm quite fond of the market, too. But before we get there and I I feel kind of bad because it's almost like starting with a quiz, but I just want to throw a name at you. Okay, Drake Barahowski. What does that name mean to you? Uh, Well, it it, it, he was the first overall pick. The Only one that went ahead of you. The only guy that went ahead of me. Uh, So he was the first defenseman and took that slot from me. He was a heck of a defenseman, but what's funny is I ended up in Florida in 2018, and I'm in, in the Tampa area, right down the road in Orlando. There's Drake Barahowski coaching the Orlando Solo Bears, so I was uh, able to kind of follow a little bit of what he's got going on there. So, you know, we lost in hockey. You can lose track of guys for decades, you know, literally like 20, 30 years. And then all of a sudden you end up in a place, and I'll give you an example uh, with an, another name that people might know. Uh, Steve Marcolini played for the Kitchener Rangers, London Knights. He's a Georgetown guy. I'm a Georgetown guy. He was my uh, idol from Georgetown. I modeled myself after Steve Marcolini. Long story, he goes off, does his thing. I go off, do my thing. 30 years later, Still in, I'm in Florida now, 2018. I get a message that says, Hey, Steve Marcolini's in Florida. I said, Whereabouts? Apollo Beach, 10 minutes from my home. So we reconnect and it's like old times. That's the, that's the great thing about hockey. You could be away, you know, like I said, 20, 30 years, but when you get together, it's just like you picked up uh, right where you left off. So yeah, he was down there. I got Drake Barahowski down there. Like all these names start to come back and it's great to uh, reconnect with some of these guys. It's amazing. Drake goes first overall in 88 to the Kingston Raiders at the time. You right. second yeah. to Sudbury. And then just yeah. to, to complete that circle, Drake Barahowski mm-hmm. comes back about, what, 20 or so years later and coaches in Sudbury of all things. Right? Yeah, I know. Right. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, it's just it, the hockey world is is uh, it's small, first of all. Like, so, you know, everybody knows somebody in that in that field. So it is a it is a community. It's a family. And you never lose that connection. Right. So even though you might might not be there talking to each other. But when when you do see each other like Packer. Right. You know, I, I, I lost track of Packer uh, after Sudbury. But I happened to be in the Toronto area on the radio. Andy Pockett's talking about his business. And I think it was testing. There was sport testing at the time. And so I get online. I find out where he is. He's in Windsor. So I reconnect with him there. And, and so we've been able to keep, uh, you know, tabs on each other over the years. And now we connect again on a, on a you know, business matter. So, you know, it's great. I love being a part of that family. That's amazing. So let's talk yeah. about the city of Sudbury as a Georgetown kid, smaller town, but right yeah. next to the GTA, essentially. You're not far from Greater Toronto for sure. And mm-hmm. then to Sudbury must have been a bit of a culture shock. What was it like for you initially? Yeah, it was an interesting interview when uh, Sam McMaster uh, was talking about Sudbury. I didn't know anything about Sudbury. And I got to I got to, you know, confess here. I didn't even know much about the Ontario Hockey League. That's how small Georgetown was. I was a double A player, never played triple A never ventured off into the GTHL or do, you know, what other guys were doing. 
I'd never seen an OHL game. So when Sam McMaster had come in and was talking to me about, you know, Sudbury and being a draft pick, I thought, okay, that's pretty cool. I don't know anything about Sudbury. You know, how big do I think the city is? I don't know, what, 17,000 people? No, it's slightly more than that. So there's a real education curve about the size of the city, the impact that hockey has on it, you know, the fans up there, the lifestyle. So it wasn't until I, you know, took that first trip up north that I ever saw the city. And it was, yeah, culture shock uh, to a point. But I think it helped that I didn't really know. I just kind of immersed myself in it and, and just uh, rolled with the punches. Having time to reflect on it, I'm glad that I had those experiences. It would have been very different in an Oshawa or you know some other location closer to the GT, uh, GTA. It would have been a different experience. You know, I was cut off uh, from my hometown. You're you know three and a half, four hours away. You don't have that quick access to go home when you kind of feel like it or, you know, like university students go home, do their laundry or something. I didn't have that ability. You know, I was, I was a distance away that uh, I only got to see family on the road trips. And so it kind of made it a little different experience, but what I'm thankful for anyways. Having never seen an OHL game prior to mm -hmm. being drafted to Sudbury, what was your first game in the Ontario hockey league? Like, do you remember it? It actually went very well. I remember making uh, some plays, probably playing above my head because I wasn't nervous. I just uh, <laughs> I, what scared me most was training camp, and then guys are you know throwing the mitts, and there's no nobody in the stands, and uh, you could just hear the impact of punches and thinking, well, that's not really my game. I better just kind of stick <laughs> to my you know side over here. Um, it was it, I wasn't nervous. I was actually excited because we got, you know, a lot of fans in the stands uh, cheering. We had, I think, you know, I think we had low expectations because we hadn't made the playoffs for a couple of years. What was exciting was the, um, I remember the first game we came out in warmups with the old green and yellow uh, jerseys. That was the warmup. And then the unveiling of the new colors came in. So, warm-ups over we go back out for the beginning of the game and now we're wearing the what is now the classic uh you know uh blue and uh, dallas cow you know cowboy colors and that so that there was a lot of excitement about the team because of change you know sam mcmaster had brought in change new coaching new colors you know ownership was on board and and it was exciting time to be there for all of that I was just, you know, one piece of a larger puzzle of things that were uh, happening at that time. New coaching. And speaking mm -hmm. of full circle moments, we touched on Barahowski. Ken McKenzie was right. your coach there. And his son, Derek, is now the coach of the team, but came back for a little bit right. of time as Derek transitioned home from Florida, mm -hmm. was in, in behind the bench for the team again. What was Ken like to play yeah. for? He was awesome. He was awesome. He was the perfect coach for me um he was just a big supporter um I was allowed to make the mistakes I was allowed to take the chances to do things I know there's a lot of coaches that you know uh if you make a mistake you're going to pay for it right that was I never got that feeling that that really freed me up to do something so if there's any coaches out there listening let the kids make mistakes that's how they learn okay it's just you know because Confidence is such a, a fragile thing. And then what happened to me after Sudbury, if we want to transition there just real quickly, I got into a different coaching environment with Mike Keenan. And so I had a Ken McKenzie, a full supporter to go out and do what I, what I wanted to do. Failed sometimes, but that was okay. I was going to learn. I was going to get better. Go into a Chicago organization with Mike Keenan. And now it was okay. You know, one mistake while well, you know, you're sitting, you're watching, you're up in the stands, and then the confidence level kind of dropped a little bit. So that was tough on me. That was so I think at the time for Sudbury, K Mac was the perfect coach for me and probably still would be a great coach for a lot of guys that are, you know, just trying to learn the game. And, and you know, he was great at, at keeping your confidence in and making it fun. He enjoyed, he came to the rink every day. It was a great time. So, no. We loved him. We loved him. I still love him. I still, uh, you know, see him at the rinks every, every once in a while. And uh, he, you know, it's, it's, again, we just kind of pick up like it's old times. 
What was it like having Sean O'Donnell as a defense partner? He was in, he was the perfect partner too. <laughs> uh, he, he, he said to me, look at, he says, you know, you go, you, you take the puck, you take the spotlight, you do what you want to do. I'm going to stay back here and I'm going to hold the fort. And he did that for 18 years in the NHL. I mean, he was he was the perfect yin to my yang. He, I, I had the freedom to roam and do what I wanted to do. And I knew I had a stud uh, defense partner that would take care of the, the house and would always back me up. And he was, he was again, a, we were a good combination. You know, I had the spotlight, I guess, because I was the high draft pick and, and a high NHL draft pick. And yet... I couldn't have done that without a Sean O'Donnell next to me, just saying, you go, you take it. I'm good. You know, I'm back here when you need me kind of thing. So, and we played off of that. So that was a lot of fun. One of my favorite things about Sudbury today is the arena. I've got nothing mm-hmm. against the new ones and all of the amenities and the creature comforts, but in Sudbury, the arena is still a classic hockey arena. What right. do you remember of playing inside that barn? Wow, come on. <laughs> it, was, uh, <laughs> it was the place to be uh, in Sudbury when the Wolves, when we were up, that was the place to be. And, and the atmosphere hasn't changed from what I heard. I mean, you got the wolf that comes out every time. I mean, I played in the old NHL buildings too. So I love the character of the old buildings. It kind of misses that in, in the newer ones. But um there was no better place to be and and we kept saying it when we were in the dressing room like where else would you rather be than right here playing tonight you know with these fans and this atmosphere and and everything that was going on and it's still a classic I love watching Shorzy and seeing it come alive again Uh, you know the bowels of the Sudbury Arena back in Shorzy and I remember walking those halls and and I'm i I wish I haven't been back in so many years I really didn't do need to get it on my to-do list to go back there and and uh, relive some of those moments again. Do that because there's talk of a new arena. I don't know how many years this yeah. one's got left, Adam. So we have to make sure I've, we get there. Yeah, I know. I've heard and and uh, it's sad. It, it will have to happen. I know. You know that change is inevitable. But uh, yeah, I do have to get up there and, and go catch a game sometime. Maybe Packer and I'll uh, hop a get you know a car ride together and and go up there. I know some guys have done it, and and I'm. You know, I, I hope maybe there's alumni out there that'll call me up and uh, get me out to something up there. I'd love to do it. Although I don't play the hockey anymore, but it may be a golf tournament or something. There I'd you love go. to get up there and catch some hockey. Maybe you can go for a Guelph-Sudbury game and you can walk, watch Packers kid Charlie play. That's that's right. Yeah, maybe yeah. I can catch the bus. I'm not. They're not too far from me. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> they exactly. put me underneath underneath the bus, right? And they just, you know, just with the uh, with the bags underneath, just ride. I don't care. That's fine. I'm I'm good that way. Like Masher used to do. <laughs> or the stories, anyways. I don't know if they're true. You mentioned that uh, that stuffed wolf up in Sudbury yeah. that comes out on the wire every time the Wolves score a goal. If they take anything yeah. from the old arena to the new one, yeah. I hope it's that or something like it. But right. I heard on occasion, Adam, that you know yeah. a, a player who was late or a player who was uh, a first-year player, let's just mm-hmm. say, sometimes okay. ended up with his equipment attached to the Wolf somehow or anything like oh, that. Really? Any, any Wolf-related oh. shenanigans when you were there? No, not that I'm aware of, unless I was again just kind of naive doing my own thing. But I don't, I don't remember that sort of stuff happening. But I, I just know, like I remember the first time of coming out, and because I was not aware that this wolf comes out and you know, so a goal gets scored and this thing's happening, the fans are going nuts, and I'm like, where the hell am I right now? This is just crazy, just nuts. Fortunately, I was able to ring that thing up a few times and have it come out to center ice and, and experience it for myself. But I'd love to get back and see it again. You kind of alluded to this talking about training camp and without mm-hmm. fans in the building, hearing the sounds of fists meeting cheekbones and jaws yeah. and whatnot. Obviously, that was an era that you were a part of, though that wasn't part of your game. How intimidating mm-hmm. was it, though, as a player when that sort of thing was happening around you? Um as a as a first year guy yeah it was uh as it was eye opener i mean i played junior b in georgetown before i got up to uh uh up to sudbury and so i, I mean there were fights in junior b but there's guys that had that role right so i didn't have to kind of worry about it i was i'm only 15 16 so 
I didn't have to kind of, you know, worry about it, but that was, you know, that was a scary time <laughs> to, to see these big guys just, uh, you know, throw haymakers at each other and God love them for doing it. It, it wasn't my thing. Although every once in a while, you know, you kind of have to, you know, drop the gloves and, and either protect yourself or protect a teammate, or it was just, you know, to change momentum of the game. You know, my thing, I hated to get hit. So <laughs> it, was, it was a pretty quick fight. If I got one in the in the face, okay, well, then I'll just hang on for a little while and let it go. Uh, that wasn't that wasn't my game, nor did I ever, you know, hope it would be. But it was, uh, it was just, you know, for a young guy getting into that environment and, and not only, you know, just the fisticuffs and the, you know, that these, these men, I mean, you, you are a young guy playing with two, three, sometimes four-year-old players, right? So these guys have experienced things that you, you just didn't as a Georgetown you know, kid coming out of small town, going into the big city and then having these, uh, these other, uh, you know, experiences up there. The hockey training camp was intense. So that's, uh, but what was great, again, you had Sam and K-Mac just come in and say, look at, don't worry about that stuff. You just go and do your thing. Just go have fun, right? Just just show us what you want to do. And and uh, that's why I was able to get through training camp. And then I do remember my very first uh, game, you know, doing some things creatively that, you know, um, I just didn't have fear because these guys just supported me 100%. You played in the Ontario Hockey League at a time when a kid, although I feel weird calling him a kid because he was always a man child, I think, a man in, in a boy's body or a younger mm -hmm. man's body. But Eric Lindros came into mm -hmm. the Ontario Hockey League. You would have obviously had to play against him. That must have yep. been a fun defensive assignment. <laughs> he was he was <laughs> he was so good. He was so good. I you know, I always I told my friends, I said, if you could plant a seed and grow a hockey player, it would be Eric Lindros. And he just he could do anything. He could set up the plays. He could finish the plays. He could, you know, uh, grind it out on the boards, open ice hits, whatever, whatever style of game uh, he could basically do anything that he wanted. He was he was a man among child, even at 16, 17. And uh, so there's there's a couple of stories. People might hear this and they might remember me on on off the record uh, we had a debate about Eric Lindros. He had come up for uh, a Hall of Fame. And I was brought onto the show to basically counter anything that Bobby Clark said. So Bobby Clark's on the set. I'm on the set. There's a couple others. But Michael Landsberg, right before we go out, says, whatever Bobby says, you say the opposite. So we didn't, I didn't know which side of the argument I was going to be. I'm, I'm, I'm obviously a fan of Eric Lindros, I think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, but whatever Bobby says, you're going to say the opposite. So cameras are rolling, you know, cue Michael Landsberg and, you know, Bobby, does Eric Lindros deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? And Bobby, being a man of very few words, <laughs> basically said yes. And now I have to come up with a counter argument to, to Bobby Clark. And I'm like, well, you know, and I kind of made up something on the spot. So I don't want people to go back on that and say, oh, I don't think he deserves to be in there. Absolutely, he does. He changed the game. He was he was a stud from the moment he stepped on the ice. And he, you know, he did things that uh, we haven't seen. We haven't seen a player like Eric Lindros, you know, since he played. He and I, there was a, um, a playoff game where Oshawa Sudbury. And I don't know how this happened because this wouldn't be me, but Eric and I, got together in a little tilt. Okay. So, you know, I'm just holding on for dear life, hoping not to, you know, take one. And um, when Eric decided the fight was over, he just grabbed my, my pant leg and, and just flipped me over. I'm I was six foot four, 210 pounds. He's six, five, whatever, 225. When he said the fight was over, he just flipped me over and, okay, we're done. And I'm like, yep, okay, <laughs> that's good by me. I mean, the sheer strength of this guy was insane. And uh, so I, you know, played in that area, era. I know how good he was. And uh, he, he, he completely changed how people could perceive hockey players. I know he was not one-dimensional. He could, he could basically do anything, score, set him up 
uh, you know, play the tough game, whatever you needed. He was that guy. He was the leader. And uh, he, he was absolutely fantastic. I don't think guy, people know how good he really was. I don't think we ever got the chance to really know that either, did we? Considering the injuries, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they, unfortunately, that that it was a part of the game and, and it slowed him down. But, you know, when I saw him in junior and had to play against him, it was it was he always had to know where he was on the ice. And, and I'll tell you, we, we had an all star game uh, in I think it was Cornwall. And Eric Lindros was on the bench. It was Cornwall or, or Montreal, not sure which one. But he would he would basically come to the bench and say, okay, you know, this shift, I'm, I'm going to run around and hit everything. And so, you know, to his line mates, here's what I'm going to do. And he would go out and he would just set, you know, uh, set people on their butts. You know, a couple of shifts later, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go, you know, you guys go to the net. I'm going to set you up. And then for the next couple of shifts, that was kind of his focus. And, you know, sure enough, he'd get the assist. And he's like, okay, now I'm going to go get one. You know, and so for the next couple of shifts, all he's thinking about is, is uh, you know, scoring the goal. But that's, you know, he was so good that he could basically dictate, like, you know, Babe Ruth, right? You know, he's going <laughs> to swing one out. And he's, okay, I'm going to go score one. And then he would just go out and, uh, and make it happen. But it just, he was dominant. It was, it was impressive. I started this conversation by throwing a name at you. I want to throw a handful more your way and see All if right. you can uh, so what do these next players have in common Matt Sundin Dave Chizowski mm-hmm. Scott Thornton Stu Barnes and Bill Guerin what do those five yeah. players have in common picks ahead of me yeah. in, the in total in total yeah. adam six players yes. one in the yeah. o and five in the show went ahead know, of right you. yeah crazy and then there's adam bennett you remember those other names <laughs> 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 who's who, matt sundin who's that what did he ever do yeah. show, right yeah no i yeah no those are those are the the five names they're and they're all forwards so i was the first defenseman picked in the nhl draft that year so 19. Drake, Drake, Drake's got me on the OHL one, but you know, I got the NHL one. Yeah. There you go. That was the 89 draft. You go to Chicago. What do you remember yeah. of draft day? Oh man, that was exciting. Um, I thought I was going to go to Minnesota. I had a, I had a great interview with them. I, I kind of felt that it would be a good spot for me to go. Um, but I was in the stands and so the draft's going. I so Minnesota picks seventh. Okay, so uh, you know the first few picks roll by, no real uh, surprises. And then it gets to you know the sixth pick, and I'm just sitting there, and I'm kind of thinking, I don't know who Chicago's going to take, but I'm my eyes are kind of on on Minnesota. But now the cameras start to you know all the cameramen start to run into my area, and they're all like focusing the lens on on me. And I'm like, okay, well, this this might be, maybe it's me this time. And then sure enough, you know, we, we select Adam Bennett. And then I remember I had a signal. I had arranged for my friends who couldn't make the trip that uh, I would give them a signal. So I would walk up on the stage, throw the jersey on, and then just one hand through the hair would be a signal to all my friends back home that, I'm, that I did it. <laughs> there you go. So if you if ever they watch the draft over, you'll see that one hand go through, and that's my sign to my uh, to my brother and all his friends that were watch, watching uh, back home. That uh, I was thinking of them in that moment as well. But it was an exciting time. And then I, you know, you bring you down to the floor, you get to meet everybody, and uh, and then then it started. You know, I was a Chicago Blackhawk. I wasn't disappointed, but I was just I was a little bit surprised because I, I of course interviewed with Chicago interviewed with Minnesota and all the other teams too. And I just really felt uh, that Minnesota was my best, uh, you know, best fit, best interview, you know, the feedback, that sort of thing. I didn't get that from Chicago. Maybe they just held their cards closer to their vest or something, but then uh, ended up going there. So, uh, you know, let's say a pleasant surprise to go one pick earlier. 
we talked earlier about arenas and you mentioned you like the classic NHL arenas. That still would have been the Chicago stadium for you. Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Back in the old barn. Yeah. Because it was small, right? It was, it was like a, a smaller ice surface, kind of like, you know, the Buffalo odd, the Boston garden, they had, they had smaller ice surfaces. And what was, what was funny was, you know, when you turn pro the minor league team for Chicago was the Indianapolis ice. They played on Olympic size sheet. So you could be in the minors. You would have all of this ice of which to play and do your thing. And, you know, you had lots of time to, uh, you know, to get to spaces or carry the puck. Then you get called up and now you're on this little tiny, we call a closet, right? Everything happening so fast, so quick. And it's just because there's no ice, you know, there's no space out there. So the transition from, you know, Indianapolis farm team up to Chicago was never easy. Like you just never got comfortable in one place or the other because it, the ice surfaces were so different. And uh, so that, that made the transition a little bit hard at that time. But there was no better place to play than Chicago Stadium. And if you recall, like this was back in the Iraq War days uh, or there, uh, Eddie, Eddie the Eagle was you know, being chanted everywhere. And the, the, when, this, when the national anthem started up, and everybody just got up and then they just went nuts. It sent chills down your spine. It was so loud in there. And then organ going in that was, you know, built right into the walls. Unfortunately, you talk about the wolf coming over into the new arena in Sudbury. I think they wanted to get that organ into the new building, but it was literally built into the walls of Chicago Stadium. They couldn't transport it. But just being in that environment at that time was just crazy. It was just like chills every time that that national anthem took off. You talked about Belfour, uh, mm -hmm. Goulet, Chelios, Ronick. Yeah. I mean, my goodness. And we already right. alluded to a guy by the name of Iron Mike behind the bench. Right. Yeah. It's something else, wasn't it? <laughs> you it at sure was. I get I get nervous yeah. just reading the names off, Adam. I don't know how no, let, it would, would have been walking in. Okay, let's we'll leave the forwards out because I was a defenseman. Okay, Chris Chelio, Steve Smith. They're going to play. They played thirty minutes a night. Okay, uh, you had Keith Brown, Doug Wilson, uh, Dave Manson. Uh, I'm trying to. Craig Muni was there. Igor Kravchuk, they had, they were stocked on defensemen, right? So trying to get some ice time would be a difficult thing. A, because you got two guys, two studs that played half the game. And then you had all these other guys, like Cam Russell was in there. Like they had, they had all kinds of defensemen. What was great for me is I get to watch those guys. So even though I wasn't, you know, particularly, you know, playing a lot, in the game, probably watch more games with the organist than I did you know, actually play physically. But I got to watch, I got to watch Chris Chelios every night, a right-handed defenseman like me, make the game look so easy. He was always in position, never got tired. Um, it was just impressive to see him control the pace of play and 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 you know, being a fan of hockey, of course, I I you know really cherish the opportunity to watch those guys and it was a guy like steve smith who had been around a lot who could see me struggling sometimes just put his arm around you and say look at just go and have fun it's just hockey right don't worry about you know high draft pick you know high expectations lots of pressure in and out of the lineup a coach that you know his communication style was a little uh difficult to manage at times he would just come up and say, look at, you know, uh, you're going to last longer than the coach. Don't worry about it. You know, just go and, and then try and take some of that pressure off. It wasn't easy, but, uh, you know, I had a good group around me that uh, that could do it. You know, they were all it was interesting. I mean, they're all family guys. They're all older. They went we went to the cup finals in 92. Right. So they were they were a stacked team. We all come in for practice. And then they all go home. Like we never really kind of hung out, you know, in a, in a leisurely way, at least in Chicago, when we're on the road it was a little bit different, but you know, these guys were family guys. So they would just come in, 
get the practice. Mike Keenan ran about a 45 minute skate. That was, that was it. So it was a very short day and everybody's uh, back doing their thing. And I'm, I'm stuck at the Bismarck hotel by myself, this downtown Chicago. Okay. Well, now what do I do? I kind of bored for a little while, but and it, it, what changed when I went out to Edmonton was now it was a lot of younger guys. And yeah, we all kind of hung out and, uh, and uh, you know, hung around, we didn't just all go home. We didn't all have families or anything. So we spent a lot more time at the arena, just kind of hanging out and doing our, you know, having some fun. I wondered, considering the depth on Chicago, the approach yeah. of coach Iron Mike Keenan, if Edmonton wouldn't have felt like a bit of a breath of fresh air to you. It was awesome. Yeah. Well, cause now I'm with, uh, you know, the younger guys, right. Then, then it was a lot of former first rounders from other teams that were still on their first contract. So it was, it was talent at a reduced cost. <laughs> they, they hadn't hit their second contracts yet, so they weren't expensive. And going from Chicago to Edmonton, not only geographically was it a, you know, a shock <laughs> to the system, going from the big city of you know, USA up to Edmonton, um, but the environment was a lot more relaxed because it was the younger guys. Expectations had, had uh, you know, dropped now I could kind of get into the flow. Now I was with my guys, you know, the OHL guys that I played with and against. Now we're all kind of huddled, all going through the same thing, right? We were all first round picks of other teams. Stephen Rice, Scott Thornton, uh, uh, Scott Pearson. Like we were just, now we were all kind of together there to grow and develop. And that's where things kind of started, you know, to really happen for me. And now I was getting into the uh line up on a regular basis i was getting some ice time the coaches were kind of like hey just you know it's okay go do your thing kind of you know uh reminded me of Sudbury in in some ways that you know just go and relax go and have fun just play the game kind of thing and so things started to really turn around for me there unfortunately it didn't last but there that you know that's the story we'll get to i'm sure at some point you scored your three NHL goals with the Oilers. Hey, that's, you remember, that's right. Do you remember them all? <laughs> <laughs> I remember. Uh, I I know I scored two of the two of them against Andy Moog. So I owned him. Uh, so you know, I owned Andy Moog. Two of them. Two of my three. My first one was against Curtis Joseph. I and I remember it vividly because I actually scored the game or two before, but it was disallowed. And so I was I was like real excited to get the first goal out of the way. And then I turn and the referee's waving it off. Like, and I'm like, oh, for, you know, what do I need to do? But then a couple of games later, yeah, I scored. <laughs> I scored on uh, on Curtis Joseph. It was, I was just rushing up the ice and stepped over the blue line and just shot it and went in. And I immediately made a beeline for the net and grabbed the puck, <laughs> you know, to get my celebration started. I'm taking this puck and it's, a, it's the first goal. So, and I, my dad had the puck, uh, you know, put on a plaque for me and things like that. I, I remember the goals. None of them were really exciting or anything like that. There's only three. How can I not remember all of them? <laughs> <laughs> if, if Steve Smith was that big brother type influence mm -hmm. for you in, in Chicago, what did it mean to be with Doug Waite in Edmonton? You roomed with him, didn't yeah. you? Briefly. Yeah, he was, he was my first roomie. We went to a training camp in Whistler and he was going through contract negotiations at the time. So what I learned from Dougie Waite was he was just extremely professional, even at a younger age, um, you know, professional about uh, how he treated his body, the rest that he got, the hydration, you know, nutrition. He was fit beyond, you know, most of the other guys. He had put in so much work in the offseason that, you know, for me, it was an eye opener. Like I hadn't really seen that. Chicago we tested for, for fitness, but you know, the guys didn't come in completely fit. I mean, JR did not show up uh, in shape. He used training camp to get in shape as did some of the other guys go to Edmonton. Dougie Waite shows up and he's ripped. Like he he's put in all the hours in the off season. And so spending time with him really showed me a real professional side that I, I hadn't seen before. So it was just an eye opener to say, okay, there's, there's, there's more I got to do. There's more work I need to put in. Whatever I thought I did was not enough. And so he was an example of, uh, of professionalism at a younger age uh, that I didn't see from anybody else. Was the time zone uh, 
a, a barrier to success in any way? I mean, it's hard to say that when you talk about an Oilers dynasty, but I'm just thinking of being in the mountain time zone and, and what the challenges that must have yeah. posed, travel, et cetera. The, big, the biggest challenge was uh, travel with not the time zone, but we flew commercial. <laughs> so we, we every flight, it just seemed like we had a connector out of Minneapolis. So we spent hours at the airport. We had, we had to do a lot of things to entertain ourselves, which was kind of funny. But um, we would have a road trip, okay, Edmonton to Minneapolis, have a layover, get on another flight over to wherever, let's say Chicago. Whereas Chicago, we, we had our own plane, we chartered. So you just drive right onto the tarmac, walk right up onto the plane and off you go. And then you'd be back in your own bed uh that same night edmonton oh man travel travel was the problem that was the uh that that was the hindrance not so much time zones but it was commercial flying and 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 you're you're in the you know as a young rookie you're in the middle seat right with all these other people around you hard to get rest hard hard to be rested during that it, that was the that was the real challenge what were some of the things you did to entertain yourselves during all that time in an airport? <laughs> well, okay. Um, there was always wagering on what bag was going to come out first. So when you're at the carousel, everybody has to throw the $5 in and then whoever's the first bag comes out. Okay. They win the pot. If we're on a lay layover, it would be, you would tie a, you know some money to dental floss. You'd leave it in the hallway and you'd go fishing. So the passengers that were walking by, unbeknownst to them, they they reach over to grab the dollar or whatever we had tied up, and then of course yank it away before. And that was funny to us, not particularly funny to the people that were singled out, because eventually we had a crowd around us because people would pick up on what's going on, and they would want to see what's happening. And and so people would be walking down the the hall, and there's oh there's money, and they reach down, we'd yank it. Uh, you'd put the, uh, shaving cream in the people's shoes when they take them off, uh, just, you know, <laughs> get a little break. Um, silly, silly things. <laughs> We're, you know, what else are you going to do in an airport? There's really, there's really not much. So we just silly things to entertain, mostly little wagers, right? Like what's, you know, what's going to come out next or, you know, what, what flight's going to be delayed, just, you know, dollars going around, a lot of cards being played. Uh, anything to keep your mind off the doldrums of travel. When you suffered the injury, did you know that it was the end for you? No, that was, uh, and thankfully not, because that would have been crushing. So um, I knew I, I knew I hit it bad. So what happened was I was in a game. Things were going, for me at least, things were really starting to pick up in Edmonton. Like I said, I was a regular uh player in the roster getting ice time power play penalty killing really starting to kind of find my find my game again and then we're playing the new york rangers and i was going back to pick up the puck it was around the the neutral zone area i just made a tight turn to kind of you know bring it back up nick kiprios had come in and put a hit on me it's a hit you see you know 10 15 times a game it's really there wasn't anything particularly dirty about the check it was just the way that my leg was under me when I fell over so what happened was and you know instead of my knee bending at the joint where it was supposed to it went over sideways and I tore the ACL MCL PCL and the cartilage all in one shot now there was instant pain when it happened but then all of a sudden there was nothing and I didn't you know so I didn't know I knew I had injured something, but I didn't know exactly what it was because I didn't have any pain anymore. The trainer had come on the ice and he says, where are you hurt? And I said, well, I think it's under the kneecap, but I, you know, that's where it, it hurt originally. But I said, I don't really feel much. He knew, he knew right away. He said, don't put any pressure on this leg. Let's get you off. You know, we'll get you to the doctor here and we'll get you examined. But he knew that I had completely torn the ligaments. Like it wasn't just a tear where those, you know, those fibers are still sending some signals. It was, I tore everything. And as the doctor described it, all of my ligaments looked like broccoli. They had just kind of exploded. And uh, so, yeah, it was the ACL, 
It was the uh, ACL PCL, so the, the two that cross over uh, under the kneecap, and the uh, MCL. The only I only had one ligament attached was the lateral collateral. So when I when I got undressed, <clears throat> um, had to shower up. My my leg was kind of just swinging freely. I couldn't control my couldn't control the lower half of my leg. So I had to time my steps with when my foot was under me because it was just kind of swinging freely. And I, so I knew I'd done it bad, but what they said was, they said, okay, yeah, you're going to, we're going to have you in surgery tomorrow. They didn't really tell me the extent of it, but we're, we're going to have you in surgery tomorrow. You'll be ready to go by training camp. So I, the injury happened in March. It was March 23rd. Uh, they said, you'll be ready to go by training camp, which would be September. And, um, so that was the expectation was, okay, this is just a simple surgery. I'll do some rehab. I'll get ready to go and I'll be back in training camp. Well, after a summer of extensive physio, the knee wasn't getting there because I'd returned to Georgetown and I was working with the physiotherapist there. And she was like, well, this isn't a, a six month injury. This is like a 12 month injury. And I said, no, 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 no. I, you know, I got to be ready by training camp. She said, well, we'll, we'll, we'll try. So I show up in Edmonton in, in September and, and they look at me and go, well, they go, ah, this is more of a nine month injury. I'm like, okay. So I got, you know, a couple more months to get it ready then. Oh yeah, you'll be fine. You'll be ready to go by, by Christmas. So I keep working out. I keep, you know, trying to get this leg better, but the swelling was just like huge. It just wouldn't calm down. And uh, make a long story short, um, I, I tried everything I do. I had multiple surgeries after the fact. My knee was just rejecting all of the, the, the surgery attempts that they, they did. And it, it finally came to two years later, two years of trying to play on this, on this broken knee, shooting it up with anything they could get, draining it of all the fluids. Um, going through the ordeals, eventually I saw a, a doctor who looked at me, looked at my charts and said, no, man, you can't play on this knee. We got to take it all out and you're, you're done. But that was two years after the injury. And at that point, I kind of figured, okay, well, you know, this is probably it. So it wasn't an instant, you're done. It was, hey, it's going to be six months. Okay, I'll be back by training camp. No, no, it's not six, it's nine. You'll be ready by, by uh uh, Christmas. Okay, well, then I'll get ready by then. No, nah, it's not really a nine month injury. It's more of a year injury. Like just the ACL alone is, is a, a year injury. They're like, nah, you'll be back. Well, it turned out it was a two year or, ordeal and, you know, four, uh, probably five surgeries in total, multiple stints of, of giving it everything that I could, but I just couldn't, I just couldn't play anymore. So they had to go in and uh, take it all out. And, and at that point, the doctor said, well, the best I can do is just, you know, get you around the golf course. And I said, well, I think I'm okay with that. <laughs> you know, I just, just, I just wanted to walk again comfortably. I just, the, the swelling in my knee was just uh, too much to handle after two years of carrying it around and the pain that goes in with it. So if we can just get past that, then give me quality of life at this point. And so that's how it ended. You're such a young man at that point though. And like, yeah. arguably yeah. you're not even in your Rhyme yet, and I, I wonder right. how much of that experience you lean on in your work to this day around mm -hmm. the mental aspects of the game and mental yeah. strength. Right. Fortunately, and I was I was lucky to do this when I was in Chicago because I was struggling with my confidence. I had gone to the sports psychologist in Chicago. Didn't really get the help I wanted because psychology was more about a deeper dive you know then let's get inside of you how does this make you feel you know what was your upbringing and, and i and i'm like no i just i just need some tools I, ne I need some way to control my mindset so luckily i got into tony robbins now people might scoff at the name but back then it was kind of something new at least for me you know, I'm watching late night TV because I'm at the Bismarck Hotel by myself. <laughs> I'm watching TV. 
And here comes a Tony Robbins. He's like, well, we can change your mindset. We can empower you. We can get, you know, build confidence and all of these things. And I'm like, sign me up. You know, I ordered the tapes and the CDs or whatever. And I started to really get into it. And that's where I kind of felt, okay, now I'm starting to take my mindset, you know, control of my mindset. My confidence started to build. Chicago come back in the next year and said, we want to send you down to the, to the minors. And I said, no. I said, I'm an NHL player. I said, I, I would really appreciate if we could, you know, get a trade somewhere. Because I I had built up my confidence that I'm an NHL player and that it's going to happen now. I'm going to make it happen. So they wanted to send me down. I asked them politely for a trade. And thankfully, they, they, they made it happen. I go to Edmonton. I was in... Uh, I was in the minors for two weeks in Edmonton and then I was a full-time NHL player, but I had already seen myself in there. So I was already fully into the mindset of, of, you know, what it takes to build up the confidence and, and resilience and see around roadblocks and obstacles. So to carry myself in a, in a manner when the injury happened, it wasn't a devastating blow because I just said, okay, well, what's next? You know, what's next for me? What what can I do now? Like it wasn't, you know, I've hit a roadblock and now I'm stopped. It was, okay, I just need to kind of work my array around this. What I thought was going to be my career for 10 plus years isn't. Accept it. And then let's let's figure out what's uh, what's next for me. So luckily I got uh, that education, but it, I, it was self-taught in the beginning. Like I, I really you know, went into it full bore, got all the books and the tapes and, you know, started reading, uh, you know, biographies and, and really, you know, soaked it all in so that I had tools that I could instantly change uh, the way that I saw things and then just keep going. That happened. I got injured. I think it was, uh, I was 20, a week before my 23rd birthday. I didn't, have, I didn't retire until I was 26. So <clears throat> yeah, still young. So I got, you know, I had time in there to really get this mindset thing going and prepare myself for what was what was next. And I've carried that through me, you know, uh, you know, everything that I've done ever, ever since I've been involved in the game, uh, you know, since I since I was a kid, I've never really left it. I've always used mindset as part of the coaching. Now I do it full time. Right. That is that I brought it to the forefront because I really think the kids uh, are, you know, at a younger age are struggling with confidence and I'm happy to share with, uh, with them what I've learned. I want to, I want to go a little deeper into that and, and we will sure. for sure. But okay. one of the other stops, if you will, along this path in hockey, of course, brings you back into the Ontario hockey league mm-hmm. as an assistant coach with right. of all teams, the Mississauga ice dogs before, right. of course, they became the Niagara ice dogs. And that was as an expansion team, which is never easy. And it was a bumpy, bumpy road. (laughs) You think? (laughs) I think. I think. You think? I wonder why it was bumpy. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. There there that was kind of, uh, yeah. That was interesting. I was brought in. Uh, Peter Sturgeon was a, a former player for Don Cherry. So if people recall, when Mississauga came in, Don Cherry was the figurehead. There was, uh, you know, I think five or six other owners. But Don was basically running the show. So whatever he wanted, that you know, we kind of went in that direction. So he brought in Peter Sturgeon. I was working with Peter Sturgeon in his hockey program. So he asked me if I wanted to uh, become assistant coach. And at the, at, I, I recall at the time I said, no, no, I'm not really interested in that. Cause I was doing, you know, his hockey thing. I figured he would move on to the OHL and, and, you know, be the coach there that I would kind of move in as the figurehead of the hockey program, which I really loved. I loved working with the players and development, you know, on the ice, off the ice, there was a lot there. I was excited about it. But then after a couple of, uh, you know, more conversations uh, and then, you know, you want to be assistant GM, I'm like, okay, well then maybe I said, okay, sure. Let's, let's go do this kind of thing. Expansion team. 
boy, there was a lot of things happening that uh, just kind of gave me a pause for thought that said, you know, okay, maybe it's, you know, there, there's a lot of things here I don't control, which I'm not very comfortable with. Um, we did our best. We, we changed direction so many times. We're, we're going to be this identity and well, that's not working. Let's go with this identity. You know, these guys are going to play. No, they're not doing it. These guys are going to play. And, uh, when the, uh, when they finally relieved us of our duties in an expansion team, I think it was only like 22 games or something after, after 20 games, I'm like, I didn't even argue. I'm just like, I just packed my stuff and I said, okay, I'm out. Thank you very much. It was, it wasn't the best environment uh, uh, for, for me at that time. It was, it was difficult working environment, I would say. Yet having said all that wouldn't change anything. It was, it was, it was a lot of fun. I mean, there was a lot of great memories out of that time. Things I laugh about now at the time that were kind of stressful, but now I look back, Oh, that was, you know, that was pretty cool. I got to hang, hang out with Don Cherry and, you know, uh, be a part of something new and, you know, a new building, you know, new environment, bringing all that in. And it was, it was exciting, but at, at the same time, it was, it was a difficult work environment, but, you know, honestly, it's, it, uh, I, I don't regret it. Uh, certainly wish things had, had turned out a little bit differently, but uh, it, it was a, it was a great time to be around Mississauga because the excitement of the team, right. Hazel McCallion and, and, you know, people coming in, it was, it was a, it was a great time. I still love what they're doing there. They've got the a decent arena to play in. It just, mm -hmm. you would know as well as anybody, uh, mm -hmm. they, they just can't, they can't capture fans attention. Do you think yeah. the Ontario hockey league can work in that market in the greater Toronto area? It's tough. I think, yeah. I think, they, I think they picked up in, in Brampton that it's, it's hard. There's so many, so many distractions. There's so much hockey in that area that it's hard to get that dollar out for them to come see the game i don't know how they do it i mean look at you look at the successful models they're away right they've got their they're isolated they've got their own you know market to themselves there's not a lot of competition in those markets you get into you know mississauga well it was mississauga it was brampton you know it was oshawa there's 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 a concentration in here not only of OHL, but then the OJ and all these other junior loops that try and get the same fan, right? The, the, the family to come out. When, when can you do that? It's, it's, it's tough. It's tough. I think you're better off to kind of be away from the Toronto area to have your own little thing going up there. Like Sudbury was, that was the place to be, right? When the game was on, that's where the city came alive. That was our team. They identified with the Wolves. Harder to get that in Mississauga and, and Brampton, as we saw. So, uh, you know, I, 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 I wish it were different. It's, it's just tougher. And they do everything they can. I, you know, they, they throw everything out there and, and see what sticks. They still haven't hit it. I don't, and I don't know how you fix it. So back to the mindset work and the building mm -hmm. confidence. And, and we see it. I, I'm, I'm personally glad that it's more of a part of the game, an accepted part, a part that we talk about. Yeah. I'm thinking of a Yogi Berra-ism here, Adam. You know, baseball's 50% physical, the other 80% is mental. Is that kind mm -hmm. of the approach that you take with the work that you do? I, I tell you what, these kids today, they have a power skating coach. They have a skills coach, maybe like a shooting coach. Uh, they have a, a gym fitness trainer. They might have a nutritionist and all these other things. All of these physical attributes, if you don't have a strong mindset, all of these go away. So the number one thing to me, maybe I'm prejudiced, <laughs> bias, okay? The number one thing to me is have the mindset. If you have the mindset, the rest will come. If you don't have the mindset, you'll never develop into the player that you want to be. So I... You know, since I've returned, I, I was in Florida from 2018 to 2022. And I worked with mindset down there as well. My, my clientele down there were, were junior age, you know, 16 to, to 20. I come back to Canada. I'm in the Kitchener area now. My clientele has gotten younger and younger and younger and younger, which tells me the kids are under a lot more pressure at a lot younger age. And I, 
as as hard as we as adults want to admit it, we put these these pressures on these kids at a much younger age. The expectations are there. So they feel it. And some of them are not capable of handling it yet. They haven't had enough life experience to say, this is temporary, I'll get through it. Or, you know, I don't like this coaching, but I like this coaching. This is how I work with it. They don't have that. These are younger kids that are struggling mentally on top of everything else in the world that gives them, you know, anxiety, social media and school and everything else. Now the hockey world is, is, has got them under a bubble and they're having a difficult time handling it. So it's an eye opener for me to see this coming back. I should have, I should have known this, right? And we know Canada is the hotbed of hockey. I am, I wish it were different. I wish I didn't have to talk to these kids until they were 15, 16 or later. However, now I'm dealing with nine and 10 year olds having these issues and I hope that I can give them the tools they need to, to move around these obstacles, to, to always see the path through that everything is temporary, that whatever they're dealing with, they can handle it because they all have skill. I mean, these kids are fantastic hockey players, much better than they were in our, in our day, right? My, my day was dump and chase, clutch and grab. I mean, that's how, <laughs> that's how I made a living, right? I didn't have the skills that these guys had. Man, they can play. But again, they've got all these coaches. They're missing the mindset coach. And when the mind goes, the skills crumble. And so they can't perform. I'm there to kind of help them, guide them, give them the tools to let them know that they do have the power to get through it. Uh, here's And let me show you how. I, I can't help but wonder. I'm sure there are so many factors. But if there's not a lesson in here for us as parents when it comes to helping these kids through the game. I'm sure it starts with a love of being on the ice and playing the game, but I think sometimes, and I, I see it sometimes too in rinks, that the parents might be a little bit overbearing thinking, oh, the next Connor McDavid is right here, right now. Right. Yeah. They're just adding to it. Right. right. They're just adding to it. When I, when I played, my dad sat in the corner. He never sat with the, with the rest of the, the parents. Okay. He separated himself. He went and sat in the corner. At the end of the game, I'd come walking out. How'd you play? Did you have fun? Yeah. Okay, let's go. And that was it. There was no coaching. There was no, you know, what? let's watch some video and see how you did. It was, did you have fun? Yeah. Okay, then let's go home, right? Throw the bag in the car, and that was it. That was the only discussion we ever had. Now, he was a hockey guy. He was a hockey coach. But when it came to me, it was, did you have fun? Yep. Okay, that's all I need to know. As long as you're having fun, you'll keep going, you'll keep playing. I'm not, he wasn't going to add more pressure than I was already under. If anything, it was his job to take the pressure off. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a 24-hour, you know, feed of, you know, hockey's everything and, you know, let's let's watch your videos. I see all the cameras there. They they got them up on the glass. They're like, what are they doing? Like they go home and this is how they're spending their family time is watching little Johnny play his game and then oh there's a mistake there johnny you know don't do that again or something let the coaches coach right the, the coaches are you know the benches are filled with guys that want, you know either volunteer to do it god love them right or they're trained to to uh to, to coach let the coaches do it i watch my son play i don't say a word i stand there it's his game it's his coaches it's you know he needs to handle these situations i'm not going to add more pressure to it did you have fun yep Great. Okay, let's go. And the last thing I say to him before he ever goes on the ice is go have fun. It's just a game. Go enjoy yourself. I'll see you after. Like that's that's the, as much involvement as I get in, into it, even though I'm a, you know, a former NHL guy, I might know a thing or two about the game. It's not my role to put that on my son. He has coaches. If he asks me, I'll give him my opinion. It's not mine to assert. And so I don't I don't add anything to it. So yeah, when I'm at the game, I'm watching the parents and I and I'm seeing a lot of stuff going on that it, you know shouldn't be happening because it would never happen in any other environment. <laughs> you would never be in the in the school uh auditorium, little Johnny's up on stage and the parents are like, "Yeah, yeah, you know, they rock. no, no, no. They're, they they know a quorum, but yet somehow in the arenas, 
all that goes away. They just kind of lose their mind. You know, referees, you're yelling at referees, they're yelling at the coaches, this isn't happening, this is, and they're pointing all this other stuff. And I'm just like, hey, guys, just the game, right? We're all going to go home. Sun's going to come up tomorrow. We love our kids. Let's just show them, right? So, yeah, I see a lot of stuff happening that I'm not a big fan of. Unfortunately, I can't do anything about it. The only thing that I can do is help the kid get through that, right? Be aware of what's happening. So I'm thinking back on you as a young hockey player. You go number two overall to the Ontario Hockey League, six overall to the National Hockey League. Clearly, you're a talent, which even without any outside noise has got to be pressure filled for you as a player mm-hmm. How, what would you today say to your 16 17 year old self right oh boy <laughs> that's a that's a good one enjoy it because it's going to be short and now yeah. that i know how long it lasts. <laughs> hindsight yeah no kidding <laughs> hindsight enjoy the ride yeah have a little lighten up uh what would i say yeah that's uh that's 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 hard that what i learned is that everything is temporary. You know, whatever you're dealing with today, whatever the stresses you think you have, they probably won't be there tomorrow. They probably won't be there next week. You know, for sure they won't be there next year. You know, if you're dealing with a tough coach, that's temporary. If you're dealing with teammates, you you don't necessarily get along with, well, those guys are temporary. If you know what you want, you're always going to see the root through the trees. You're always going to see the path. If you're focused on all of these other things, yeah, that's going to really put a cramp in your style. Like you're, you're just, you're going to hate the game because of all of these things that are going around. So what I would say, everything is temporary. Just keep your head down and keep going after what you want. You'll find the route to get there. Okay. This has been much too temporary for me. I can't believe how fast it's gone by. And I promise to let you go because your son's got a game. Before I do, I just, I, and I'm going out on a bit of a limb with this one, but I have to ask it because gosh, if it's true, it's awesome. Adam okay. Bennett's not the, the, the least uncommon name or the least. Really? Yeah. It's not it, Adam Bennett. Like, you okay. know, there could be other Adam Bennett's, but uh-huh. are you the Adam Bennett from the grand river band, Adam Bennett? <laughs> yes. Yes. And you, yes. And you know, okay. A couple of things. There's a LinkedIn group called Adam Bennett. It's, it's just a bunch of Adam Bennett's on LinkedIn. <laughs> so so one guy organized it, Adam Bennett, and he just puts out requests to all the Adam Bennett's. So I'm in an Adam Bennett group on LinkedIn. That's and awesome. Yes, I was the, and, and still today, um, we, we just had a jam uh, about a month ago. Love the guys, the Grand River Band. Go to grandriverband.ca. I think it, I forget the website or something, but yeah, that, that, one thing I did, you know, to kind of occupy my time was play the guitar and, and sing. And I got to become a rock star with the Grand River Band and uh, enjoyed that. Now that I'm back, I'm hoping to get with those guys a little bit more and, and keep playing. It, I love it. It keeps balance in your life, right? You got to have outside activities. You can't, can't be so, you know, engulfed in one thing that you don't have life experiences and the grand river band was one of them that i had that i absolutely love i love being a rock star you're gonna see me up on stage again someday i can't wait that is so fantastic because <laughs> my buddies and i used to jam a little bit i'm i'm pretty yeah. terrible but i told them when we okay. got together and started jamming more regularly i said listen right? guys i'm only doing this for one reason and one reason only we're gonna play a gig some night i don't care if it's in front of 10 people Right, or, right, or or ten thousand. But we're going to play a yeah. gig. We we never did, Adam. I'm I'm a failure oh, as a musician. You got to do it. I'll see. Set the goal. Okay. Uh, here here's one thing I did to get out of outside of my comfort zone because you know when I'm with the guys and we got the instruments and you know the the sound system going, that's one thing. Okay. When I'm part of a group, I said I'm going to play a coffee shop. Just me and a guitar with you know acoustic guitar, and I I recruited my younger daughter to join me. So the two of us in a coffee shop downtown georgetown we just said i'm doing it i'm getting outside of my comfort zone went in and did it and uh it was it was a great experience but you got to talk to john stoss you know the stoss brothers remember john and jason sure yeah okay get him on the show okay look him up he's a hell of a guitar player and singer he's got he's got like records out and stuff like that like good old you know country stuff get him on your show to get those uh, discussions going because uh 
I love hearing him, uh, you know, play his things. All right. He does originals. You came by way of recommendation. John Stoss okay. is coming by get, your get, recommendation. Get the Stoss boys on there and get the music going. I'll be, I'll be listening for sure. Adam, this has been so much fun. <laughs> thank you very much for the time. My pleasure. Hey, thank you. Anytime you want me back on, I'd love to talk stories with you. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. Hi, I'm Emily Roger, and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.